Welcome to the O'Reilly Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Webb. This week, O'Reilly's Max Slocum chats with Sarah Watson, a technology critic and writer-in-residence at Digital Asia Hub. Sarah is also a research fellow at the Tao Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia and an affiliate with the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard. They talk about how to optimize personalized experiences for consumers, the role of machine learning in this space, and what will drive the evolution of personalized experiences. Enjoy the show. You have a talk titled The Personalization Spectrum. How does that spectrum work? Sure. So I think one of the things I'm presenting today uh, at Strata is a proposal for a personalization spectrum. So it's a thing that doesn't quite exist yet, but I think kind of solves a problem of how consumers interpret the personalized experiences that they encounter and have an opportunity to interact with those experiences as well to say more about what they want and what they uh, prefer to have optimized for them. So is it kind of a binary thing, right? It either is personalized or isn't personalized? I think it's that most consumers don't even know if an experience is personalized or just to what extent an experience is personalized. So that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is we kind of know things like targeted ads are based on something, sure. uh, but what and to what extent and you know to what degree is this based on you know just demographics or could it be my entire you know browsing history right and that's just not exposed to the consumer and that also doesn't that means that we don't really know how to uh, interpret something that's supposed to be ostensibly speaking to us. Sure. I, I mean, I'm sure people have that vague sense that something is happening when that one pair of shoes is following them across exactly. the internet. Right. right. But the depth of that is, isn't very clear. Right. And even that is, a, you know, that's a particular technical case of, okay, that's retargeting. Sure. That's a particular thing that's happening. Um, but to the consumer, it's just creepy and stalkerish. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think there's, there's, um, an impetus to kind of start to make sense of that, both for the consumer to know, okay, like, fine, this is how this works. But also, you know, if that's going to be following you, even after you've bought the shoes, that's where it's really annoying and not serving anyone really, and has a negative effect on the brand or the um, website that that's showing up on. So I keep waiting for the opt out button on the exactly. Uh, the like, yes, I did buy this. You can right. press yeah. me with something right. else, right? How mature is online personalization at this point? Is it still in its infancy? I, I think it is. Yeah, and that's a perfect example where you know campaigns are designed to have that burn date, or you know the shoe has been bought, but in a lot of cases, either the data is siloed or there's just not a way to track the experience across the consumer's intentions or their kind of preferences, um, or even to kind of be able to say, okay, I'm buying a gift. I'm not like interested in this in the broad spectrum. Sure. Um, And that's largely because there's not any uh, input interface for consumers to say what it is that they want. There's so much assumption built into the system right now. Um, And that works for a while, but that's not going to work for the long term. Is personalization at a point now where it's just largely happening to people instead of for people? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, I think one of the things that we talk about in the kind of data side of things is targeting people. And think about that word. It's like targeting, like putting a gun to the consumer's head, right? So when you think about it that way, it's like, okay, yeah, this is a one-way conversation. This is 
not really giving any agency to the person that um, is part of that conversation. So I'm really interested in trying to open up that dialogue in a way that's beneficial to all parties involved. Do you think that even shifting the vocabulary would help? Targeting is a great word. Yeah, users. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about the language that we use to talk about this stuff, um, including, you know, I've I've written about um, the metaphors we use to talk about data. So Strata is one of these rich with metaphors uh, examples and talking about data lakes and data is the new oil and Mm -hmm. all these kinds of industrial heavy analogies that really put the focus on the people with the power and the technology and the kind of industry side of things without necessarily kind of supporting the human side of things. That's a really interesting point. Because even if a, a word like targeting, which gets thrown around so easily, you can just see the trickle down. Oh, yeah. From when you're thinking about it at the very high level of who has the power and it's coming down. Well, yes, yeah, so obviously we're targeting the it user. It shapes what yeah. it is you think you're doing, either as a marketer or as um, the platform that's making those opportunities possible. It's not very sensitive to like the subject, really. How do you think that should be flipped? I think a lot of it just has to do with giving people more opportunities, people in those positions, in that marketing position, in the um, platform side of things to think like a consumer. I mean, we're all consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the ability to think about how this affects me, um, how it affects my family, how you know you hear people complaining about their experiences. Um, using that and drawing from that and listening to users um, as much as possible seems like a really good start. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of incentives for people not to listen to that, um, including just the basic premise of the, the business model. Um, but I think that's not going to be an option going forward to not listen to consumers and to not listen to those kind of very emotional um, feelings about this isn't working for me. This is creepy. This is invasive. I feel like I'm, you know, being put on the spot. And not just just, just to toss that stuff off, right? Right. It's, it's worth paying attention to those feelings and those kinds of, um, even if consumers can't fully articulate what's wrong with it. Um, and I think in many cases they can't because they just don't have the technical knowledge about the way the system's constructed. But it's worth listening to that instinct and to that emotion. I'm always struck by the fact that, as you noted before, we're all consumers. Uh-huh. We're all users of online services. And I've encountered this myself where uh, as as somebody who's using something, I have certain opinions. And as somebody who may be building something, I may have different opinions. And I have to really push to make sure I'm uniting those two mm-hmm. things. And yet that distinction is often not made when it comes to the building process. Yeah, It's a weird dynamic because we're all experiencing it. How can a user know that his or her data is being used in a questionable way? Mm-hmm. Are there certain red flags to watch out for? Yeah, I think that's still a really tricky question for consumers right now. The thing that I've been advocating for is for consumers to pay a little bit of attention, especially to advertising. So because of the kind of uh, maturity of advertising and personalization, that's one of the best signals that we have as consumers to figure out A, what the data is that is out there about us, and B, how it's being used. Obviously, those are some of the most innocuous uses of data because it's just about getting you to buy something. It's not a loan decision or you know a differential pricing, for example. Mm-hmm. That stuff is a lot harder to surface, um, but at least kind of building that literacy of, and, of paying attention to what those um, signals say about us, um, we can start to understand 
where that's failing, where it's not matching with the expectations that I might have about who I am and what my behaviors look like. What, and kind of related to that, what do you feel ideal personalization would look like? That's a great question. Um, I think the ideal is not far off. It's just that in in practice, we're not there yet. Um, I think a lot of people would probably agree that uh, ideal personalization is about relevancy. Um, It's about being meaningful to the consumer and um, providing something that's valuable. I also think it has to do with being empowering. So not just kind of pushing something onto the consumer, like we know what's best for you, or we're anticipating your needs, but really giving them the opportunity to explore what they need and kind of make choices um, in a smart way. Are there, uh, kind of related to that, are there any organizations that are kind of exemplars of this right now who are doing a particularly good job? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of good examples out there that um, consumers really like. So um, I look to something like Spotify, Discover Weekly, their Mm -hmm. kind of recommendation engine for new music is uh, really beloved and is a lot about just looking at the previous behaviors and kind of classifying you as a user as to what you like and what you don't like. Obviously, they're not um, being forthright about what goes into that decision-making process, but I think that's a pretty good example. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that could be done where you could say, you know, as a user... I would like to see more of this genre Mm -hmm. and not like when I'm listening to my work music, I don't want that to really filter into my discover weekly, for example. Um, Or, you know, if I share an account with my family, like please don't include the kids music or something like that. Right. So even something that's supposed to be so um, kind of behind the scenes um, has an opportunity for there to be more of a dialogue. Um, I also look at Facebook. So they have, um, arguably (laughs) the largest opportunity for personalization in so many different ways, um, from ads to the feed to kind of recommendations in any form. They, I think, are doing some of the most uh, interesting early work to give people opportunities for feedback on the very micro level. So saying like, why am I seeing this ad? Let me not see this uh, type of content from this, um, you know, say the onion, for example, like, just please stop showing me this. They're doing a pretty good job of it, and I have to give them credit for it. And they've been doing some of this for the past couple of years, like slowly introducing this stuff. I would love to see it be a little bit more prominent and a little bit more about like, let me tweak my news feed uh, to say, you know, right now it's the middle of the politics moment. I, I really just want to see more news mm-hmm. rather than more cat videos. I know I spend a lot of time looking at those cat videos, sure. but... That's not what I want to see right now. And so where are those toggles? Where are those kinds of um, control points for the consumer to say, you know, my needs are changing. I'm not just going to leave it to you to decide how to interpret all my previous behavior. That's really interesting because the algorithm makes a suggestion to a certain extent, but the things you may need will vary and the algorithm is not going to adapt to the need. Right. You would have to start signaling to it that you need to adapt to the need which then becomes a burden for using the service. Right. Which and then you have long. to keep saying like, well, please, like none of these top down cooking videos, right? Like, right. and how do you systemically say that yeah. to the system, yeah. right? Like right. they're all coming from all different sources. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how they're coming up in my feed, but, and it it's often really about, you have to think about what is Facebook optimizing for in this case, right? Most of the time, those autoplay videos are really about getting people to stay on the website. But if getting people to stay on the website is still annoying or like not creating the experience that the user really wants, even if it means 
you know, a little less time on the site? Is that really the thing that is the long-term thing to be optimizing for, Mm -hmm. right? Like, ultimately, if my Facebook feed becomes cat videos and recipes and, you know, whatever else, and nothing of kind of content value, I'm just not going to keep going to Facebook. So I think there's a a long-term strategy for kind of bringing the user and the consumer back into the preference model, I suppose. Yeah, there's a lot of thought that seems to need to go into that. Because I could also see a risk of going too deep with too many knobs, too many options. Oh, absolutely. And that's why we don't have that right now. I think there's there's so many reasons why it's a challenge. Um, but I'm confident that there's a way to do it in a way in a way that's simple enough and um, engaging enough and kind of, um, you know, gets the point across without having to I mean, right now, the option is individually clicking every single thing that like doesn't match what you want. I want to like slightly more systemic view of, you know, as you would say in my privacy preferences, like, Mm -hmm. here's the kinds of stuff I don't want to see or want to see more of. So, So, yeah, and so many times too, because I've done some pruning of Mm -hmm. of Facebook, right? And as you've mentioned, those buttons of why am I seeing this and what can I control? It's nice to have that option at that granular level, but the controls on those options are very limited. Right. It's, you can basically say no. Yeah. And and it may be more of, I want just a little less or I want a little bit more right. and that's not being incorporated. Yeah. That's really interesting. Kind of related to all that. How do you see personalization evolving over the next few years? One of the things I'm paying a lot of attention to is how the machine learning uh, application of this kind of changes what can and can't be explained about personalization. I think one of the things I'm I'm really looking for is as a consumer is to say, okay, why am I seeing this? That's really interesting to me. I think more and more, we're not going to be able to answer that question. And even so now, I think a lot of times it's just, we can provide one piece of the answer to why I'm seeing this ad, for example. So it's it's really going to get far more complicated. And But at the same time, I think there's going to be a lot more need for kind of either accountability across that kind of life cycle of data whether we're talking about, you know, following data between the data brokers and the browser history and um, my kind of preference model as a consumer, there's got to there's at least be a little bit more accountability across that pattern. Um, how that happens, it's obviously going to be a very complicated thing yeah. to solve. Do you think there'll be sort of a catalytic event that kind of brings that together or more of a gradual? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. Um Honestly, I think it's going to be demand-oriented, um, whether that is from a policy side or a consumer side. Um, I'm hoping that with, you know, people have started to understand that there is something happening in the newsfeed. It's not just like a purely objective <laughs> right. Um, timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not linear. Um, just that level of knowledge has kind of changed what the discussion is, right? That's why we're talking about the objectivity of Facebook's newsfeed and whether or not you're seeing political news on one side or the other um, or the trending topics, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of being part of the larger discussion, even if that's not reaching a huge range of of consumers, I I think it's making consumers more educated towards caring about these things. Sure, yeah, the awareness is definitely increasing. Exactly, yeah. Um, last question for you. What people or projects are you following these days? Sure. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm paying a lot of attention, um, to people who are doing research on consumers' preferences. So there's not a ton of that out there yet. 
But uh, a few folks at Berkeley iSchool are doing some interesting work on this. Um, Rena Cohen, I think Emily Paul, let me look, Paul, uh, Pavel Venegas. Um, and they're doing some work along with the Center for uh, Democracy and Tech that looks at what factors people are comfortable or not comfortable with. So like which data points are going into the personalization. And it turns out people are really uncomfortable with being targeted based on home uh, income and guess what? Race, like mm -hmm. surprisingly. Huh. Yeah. So, um, so looking at stuff like that, but th it's the fact that there are people asking um, consumers what's comfortable and what's not uh, is pretty interesting. Um, I'm also looking at people like Helen Nissenbaum, um, her work on contextual privacy um, or contextual integrity is really just about what my expectations are for this interaction. So a lot of the personalization spectrum idea is about, okay, this is a personalized ad. What do I expect from this? How am I supposed to interpret it based on what I think it might be? So I think her work saying that, okay, my interaction with my doctor is different from my interaction with my credit card company. And I have different expectations about how they're going to handle whatever data that they have. I think we have very few signals for contexts right now. And that's going to be something that we need a lot more of. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You can find Sarah on Twitter at SMWatt. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, remember to subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. Mm -hmm.